You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Really looking forward to the weekend, and more importantly, really looking forward to what comes after this weekend. There's a chill in the air. There was throughout the day today. Uh, The first full weekend of college football uh, kicked off last night. Full slate of games tomorrow, week number one. This weekend really is with the holiday, with everything returning back to normal. A lot of schools in the New York City area have already started this week. This weekend really is a changing of the guard as far as our sports mindset, more so than at any point in recent years. And the biggest reason for that will be, during the month of September, the absence of meaningless baseball, which has continued to be a topic of conversation. Um, This will be the last weekend when baseball is any semblance of a focus, and that's assuming that you haven't lost complete interest yet. However, both teams, both the Yankees and the Mets, entering the final month of this highly disappointing season for both, but both teams, at least this weekend, are giving you a reason to tune in and to keep track. So when you're the fan of a team, what do you want? All right, you want your team to win. That's obviously first and foremost. And obviously the Yankees and the Mets won last year. The Yankees usually win. The Mets are about 50-50. But at the beginning of this season, the expectations were for both teams to win. And especially in the Mets' case, to win big this year. I mean, collectively they won 200 games last season. If your teams don't win and they were expected to win, as is the case with the Yankees and Mets, What the fan base wants is to see changes, change of personnel, change of leadership, general manager, manager, heads must roll. The more disappointing the season, the more change you want to see. And again, I think we can all agree this season has been highly disappointing for both teams, but sometimes you don't get the wins and you don't get the changes that you're looking for. Now, in the Yankees case, the deeper we go into the season, at least at the top, And I've been on a lot the last couple of weeks and have kind of changed my tune starting about two weeks ago to where it is right now. Two weeks ago when the Yankees were in the midst of that nine-game losing streak and had hit rock bottom. And then right at the tail end of that losing streak when Brian Cashman gave his state of the Yankees mea culpa to the media a couple of weeks ago. It was in the immediate aftermath of that that it started to dawn on me that I don't think Brian Cashman is going anywhere. And as time has passed since then, I feel that more and more strongly, much to the chagrin of many a Yankee fan. I don't think that this season is going to result in that sort of change that Yankee fans, some have craved for years, and certainly I think it's safe to say the majority of Yankee fans are craving for a change of general manager right now. And then the trickle-down effect a change of manager as well in Aaron Boone, although he's not as big a problem as the person putting together this ill-constructed roster. But I don't think that change is coming either. So you want your team to win, it's not. You want your team, if it doesn't win, to make wholesale changes. It's not looking that way for the Yankees to be determined for the Mets. So if you don't have those changes, there's really only one thing left to look forward to if you're the fans. The fans want you to play the kids, and that is universal across all sports in all markets. If you don't have a winning team, if your team's not going to win a championship, if your team's not going to go to the playoffs, if your team's not going to finish above 500, if your team's not going to meet expectations, 
then there's this magic elixir that if you play the kids, the prospects, at the end of the season, everything's going to be all right. Because what does that give you? That gives you hope. In a small sample size over two or three weeks, if you see these young kids, 20, 21, 22 years old, making their major league debuts, and we've already seen quite a bit of that this season. We've seen Everson Pereira come up and make his major league debut about a week ago. We've seen Brett Beatty go through his first major league season for the Mets. We've seen Francisco Alvarez be a success despite his recent slump. We've seen Anthony Volpe get better. We've seen a lot of it already, but now you're going to see it in, in mass starting tonight on both sides with the Yankees' Jason Dominguez, the prospect, the one name that I think if it doesn't work out would be the most damaging of all because, first of all, the guy's nickname is The Martian. His nickname is The Martian because he is apparently so good that he is not of this planet. They nickname him the Martian when he was 16 years old. And Yankee fans have been hearing about him and his exploits and his bag of tools since he was 16 years old and now salivating at the chance to get to see him. And I don't think anyone in their right mind had any inkling that we would see Jason Dominguez this season. Why would you think that? He was 20 years old. He started the year in double A. And the Yankees, as they always do, we're supposed to be contending for a division title, a playoff spot, and a spot in the World Series. So how does that jive with bringing up a 20-year-old and getting him experienced the last month of the season? Well, lo and behold, here he is. Here he is batting fifth in the Yankees lineup in his major league debut tonight facing a future Hall of Famer in Justin Verlander. Austin Wells, the top catching prospect in the organization. The Yankees catching position since Gary Sanchez flamed out, has been a wasteland. Jose Trevino had a nice two-thirds of a season last year. Very good defensive player. Hit well enough in the first half to be an all-star. That came out of nowhere. That came out of the blue. And the Yankees running it back and thinking that was anything more than lightning in a bottle last season just shows you the organizational philosophy that has not worked now for several years. We could all see this coming. Ever since Gary Sanchez left, and this is two full seasons now, the Yankees have not had an answer at catcher. Well, now we have Austin Wells, the top catching prospect in the Yankee system, in the starting lineup tonight, batting seventh, also, by the way, against a future Hall of Famer in Justin Verlander. That's right. That's how it works. So you have those two guys making their major league debuts tonight. Everson Pereira continues to play regularly. Oswald Peraza continues to play regularly. And, of course, Anthony Volpe. He's old news now at this point. Volpe's in the lineup batting six tonight. Hit his 20th home run yesterday afternoon. It was a dramatic three-run home run to right field just inside the foul pole that forced extra innings in a game that seemed like the Yankees were destined to lose. It was a clutch home run in a season in which Anthony Volpe is getting better. And you're going to walk away from this season, and I think unquestionably, well, let me not say it. Let me backtrack because that's a strong statement. I think when you walk away from the season, the best thing to come out of this season will be Garrett Cole. And if you're a Yankee fan, if you're Cole, you hope that it results in winning a Cy Young Award. And the second best thing that's going to have come out of the season for the Yankees is Anthony Volpe. The Mets are in a very similar boat, playing the kids. Ronnie Mauricio, fourth prospect in their system. 
according to the MLB Pipeline rankings. A career shortstop who, if he's going to stay in this organization, doesn't exactly have a future as a shortstop. They've moved him to second base. They've moved him to the outfield. They've tried him at different spots. He's in the lineup tonight, batting ninth, playing second base, making his major league debut. And at the same time, the Mets call back up Brett Beatty, who hopefully is the third baseman of the future. He showed some signs during the first half of the season, but really slumped after that to the point that the Mets sent him back down to the minors for a month and a half. He's back up too. September 1st, rosters expand, two additional spots to call players up from the minors, both teams using both spots on prospects, which is not what we envisioned when this season began. Now, they've both, as you continue the similarities between the Yankees and Mets, they've both already uncovered one young prospect future building block this season. The Yankees with Volpe and the Mets with Francisco Alvarez. And Alvarez, like I said, has slumped greatly lately, but I think over the long haul of the season, with the power that he has shown and his ability behind the plate as a catcher, which I think the Mets were even surprised at how good he's been there, that is enough for the Mets to feel comfortable going into next season with Francisco Alvarez as their starting catcher. Now, five, ten years down the road, is he going to be a full-time catcher? Who knows? With his power and the toll that it takes on his body, who knows? But the fact is, just like Anthony Volpe's development is one of the bright spots of this Yankees season, one of the bright spots of this Mets season is the emergence of Francisco Alvarez. So from that respect, it is exciting, especially for the Jason Dominguez piece and the Ronnie Mauricio piece, because those are two high-end athletic-type prospects that you've been hearing about for a long time. And both teams, especially the Yankees, the Yankees gotten so old and crusty and stale, the Yankees don't have any sort of that athleticism in their lineup. So an injection of that tonight and over the final month of the season I think is going to be a very, very welcome sign. I mean, look at the Yankees' lineup tonight, and they start at 8 o'clock in Houston. The Yankees' lineup tonight is, is hilarious because – the top four is the old guard, old, injury-prone, not living up to your potential, any combination of that, crusty, stale, stiff, whatever you want to say. DJ LeMahieu at first, 35 years old. Judge at second, 31 years old. And he's injury-prone. He's not any of those other things I mentioned. Glaber Torres batting third, an old 26 and then Giancarlo Stanton cleaning up, still only 33 years old somehow as the designated hitter. That's the top four for the Yankees. The bottom five are the kids. Dominguez is in center field. He's 20. Volpe is at shortstop. He's 22. Austin Wells behind the plate is 24. Everson Pereira in left field is 22. And Oswald Peraza at third base is 23 years old. So the Yankees lineup is pretty much split exactly, exactly down the middle between the old guard, those who, the, the, the last four standing, the last four that didn't lose their jobs. You know, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa lost his job. Harrison Bader lost his job. Kyle Higashioka has lost his job now. Anthony Rizzo is presumably out for the remainder of the season with his post-concussion symptoms. So the last four standing, the high-priced LeMahieu, Judge, Stanton, in addition to Glaber Torres, who offensively has done the job this season. They're the only four 
that were able to hold on to their jobs this year. And that in itself says a lot about where this season has gone. Now, after this weekend, it's 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 really over. In, unless one of these kids catches fire. And then, you know, during the week, it'll be a story. You'll keep an eye on one of these kids if Mauricio goes on a hot streak and brings some athleticism or if Jason Dominguez comes up and is the real deal or Austin Wells. But other than an extraordinary sustained performance by one of these guys, this is really the last weekend of baseball here in New York, which is such a weird place to be. Never mind the last place standing of both teams right now, but just the fact that there is and has been no hope for this season for at least two to three weeks. And in the case of the Mets, longer than that. So that's where we are, baseball in 2023. Come Tuesday, you'll keep an eye on the prospects this weekend if you even want to do that. And by the way, good luck doing that tonight because here we go again, and it seems like every time I'm on on a Friday night, I'm complaining about finding the games on these streaming services. But if you want to settle in, turn on the television and watch these Mets prospects, you want to watch Mauricio make his Major League debut tonight, I hope you have a subscription to Apple TV Plus because it's not on SNY and it's not on Channel 11. And then at 8 o'clock, if you want to watch Jason Dominguez's first Major League at bat, hopefully you have a subscription to Prime Video because the Yankee game, not on yes. Isn't that something? I mean, really, you, you couldn't have planned it any better as a microcosm of how this season has gone and how the fans have been so disgruntled on both sides of town all season long. Pretty much one of the few and most likely the last thing that baseball fans in this town have to look forward to this year. And if you don't have the proper streaming service, you cannot see it tonight. I mean, that really says a lot about Major League Baseball as a whole and more specifically New York Baseball in 2023. So we'll try to update you as best we can as we follow along over the next three hours. We'll get to a lot of NFL talk as well. Uh, The calm before the storm for both the Jets and the Giants before things really ramp up next week and get real. Uh, News from around the league. Kansas City Chiefs have the season opener less than a week away. Will their best defensive player, Chris Jones, be on the field for that? And some NBA thoughts as well. Once the calendar turns to September, once everybody is back and into their daily routines after Labor Day, then you're only about three weeks away from NBA training camps opening up. And then you're into the preseason. And next thing you know, it's opening night at Madison Square Garden and Barclays Center on the 25th of October. And things are going to start ramping up on the NBA front as well. Damian Lillard. James Harden, to name a few, that NBA quote-unquote hot stove is going to start getting a little hotter also. Your calls as well, 1-800-919-3776, here till 10 o'clock. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Mariners in town. The Mariners have been on an absolute tear. They're be, uh, looking to become one of a handful of teams since – the divisions were formed in Major League Baseball in 1969 to come back from a double-digit 
deficit in the second half of the season and actually win the division. They're in a really interesting three-team race in the AL West that both the Mets and the Yankees will have a hand in this weekend with the Yankees in Houston. First pitch there, Rodon against Verlander at 8 o'clock. And again, it's Seattle and the Mets underway in the bottom of the first inning at City Field scoreless. Of course, the Mets were in the middle of that race earlier this week when they hosted the Texas Rangers for three games at City Field. A change, a last-minute change to the Yankees starting lineup that I went through a moment ago. Eric Boland tweeted out that Glaber Torres is out tonight with a back issue. So you go LeMayhew and then Judge and then Anthony Volpe jumps up to the number three spot, hitting ahead of Giancarlo Stanton. Jason Dominguez is still fifth, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa will replace Torres. IKF bats sixth, but he plays third base. Austin Wells stays seventh, Everson Pereira eighth, Oswald Peraza ninth, but Peraza moves from third base to second base in place of the injured Glaber Torres. So there you have that. Calling up prospects, which is what both teams are doing today. It's it's funny because it used to be September 1st, rosters expand to 40, and you would just call up every single reliever, every single left-handed reliever who could throw the ball 60 feet, and those guys would be inserted right in the middle of a pennant race. I mean, it was depth. Uh, you'd always have a extra guy who could pinch run, a fast guy who you could bring in off the bench in a close situation. You would have all these situational guys that you bring up for the last month of the season. And then a few years ago, they changed that rule, limiting it to 28-man rosters for the final month of the season instead of 40-man rosters. Because what happened with these 40-man rosters, and again, this was also before the rule was instituted where if a pitcher comes in he ha and doesn't finish the inning, he has to face at least three batters before he can be taken out. And it, it seems like a long time ago, but these games, it wasn't that long ago. You may have blocked it out. These games in September, especially with a manager like Joe Girardi, who loved to mix and match with his bullpen. I mean, there was no limit, so you could bring a guy in, you could bring a lefty in to face a lefty hitter. He would face one batter, and then you would take him out. And because you had about five or six or seven additional relief pitchers in your bullpen, you could do that all game. These September games, no pitch clock, no limit on how many batters a pitcher must face when he comes into a game, those games would take forever. But now it's a 28-man roster. You can add two additional guys. It's funny, though, seeing especially the Yankees in the position where they're using both of those spots on getting a glimpse at the future. On one hand, it's exciting because, you know, getting a glimpse at the future, people always get excited about prospects. People always get excited about homegrown players. So from that perspective, I guess it's a little exciting. It's also vastly different from what the Yankee fan is used to this time of year. On the other hand, though, it just, again, it shows where this team is this year compared to where the expectations were. The expectations should have been these two extra roster spots, maybe a pinch runner, and an extra arm out of the bullpen, or maybe two additional arms out of the bullpen for the stretch run to try to go after a wild card spot or the division title. And those do not factor into the Yankees' thinking right now. So the two Yankee roster spots go to their two most major league-ready prospects, Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells, and same with the Mets, Ronnie Mauricio, and they're able to call Brett Beatty back up. Look, Beatty getting sent down, you saw some decent things from Beatty. And by no means 
was it enough of a sample size? And yes, he did struggle. By no means was it a, enough of a sample size to write him off. It's good that they have this opportunity to bring him back. This is a guy who could be their starting third baseman at the beginning of next season. So he's got, he's got a full month to try to prove himself here. And with the new playoff format of Major League Baseball, the Yankees and Mets are going to be playing against, there's a lot more teams that are still in a pennant race than there would have been five years ago, ten years ago, because there's additional playoff spots in each league, and there's additional teams that are still vying for those playoff spots. So when you look at the schedules of both of those teams, there's going to be very few series where it's meaningless for both teams. You know, the Yankees just went through one of those series in Detroit, that four-game slog fest between the Yankees and the Tigers. You know, now the Yankees get the Astros, who are right in the middle of a rabid three-team race for the National League West. And winning the division is such a huge advantage, especially the American League West, because you win that division, you go right to the ALDS. You win the AL East, you go right to the ALDS. You don't. If you're one or two of those teams that get into the playoffs in the AL West and not as a wild card, and excuse me, not as the division champion, then all bets are off. Then you go into that weird two out of three wild card series and one bad game by your ace starting pitcher in game one when he gets shelled and all of a sudden your backs are up against the wall and two games later your season is over. Just ask the New York Mets. So the Yankees and the Mets are playing right in the middle of that pennant race this week. So my point is, with these prospects, you're going to, I mean, look, Wells and Dominguez are playing against Verlander tonight. You're going to see them play in meaningful games in high-pressure situations, even though the games aren't necessarily meaningful for the Yankees. But calling up prospects in general, it's, it's also a last resort for a general manager. right? The fans will be excited for a series. They'll be excited for a week. If one of these kids plays well, the fans will still keep tabs on him for a little bit longer. You know, a great example of this, it's been such a long time since the Yankees didn't go to the playoffs. And I've referenced the 2016 team a lot lately, as have other people. Just in terms of the last four times since the strike, the Yankees did not go to the playoffs. This year will be the fifth time since the strike. But in the previous four instances, Yankee fans had a reason to continue going to the ballpark all the way to the end of the season. First of all, in none of those three prior seasons, 2008, 2013, 2014, or 2016, were the Yankees as far out of the playoffs as they are right now. They at least hung around the periphery until the middle of September. Now they're long gone. All right, that was first and foremost. And then whether it was the end of Yankee Stadium, in its last year in 08, or the end of Jeter's career, or the end of Mariano's career, the fans had reason to continue to come out to the stadium. There was still excitement over those last few weeks because you were saying goodbye to an iconic piece of the franchise. And in 2016, it was a little bit different, but the Yankees, that was the last time the Yankees brought up a bunch of kids. And the symbol, the greatest example in recent memory of one of these prospects coming up and performing so well that he keeps your attention until the end of the season, ironically, was Gary Sanchez. 
You know, when Sanchez came up in 2016, he was such a phenom. His numbers were unbelievable. You really went into 2017, and there was a lot of excitement going into 2017. But the biggest reason for that excitement, it wasn't Aaron Judge. It wasn't Luis Severino. It was Gary Sanchez because you really thought, the Yankee fan thought that their team had the best catcher in Major League Baseball. And by the way, Sanchez kind of backed it up a little in 2017 and was fantastic in the playoffs along with Aaron Judge. But by that point, Judge had surpassed Sanchez because he hit 52 home runs and won Rookie of the Year and was almost the American League's most valuable player. But Sanchez's call-up in 2016 when he replaced Brian McCann as the starting catcher, and that wasn't even the original plan. I mean, McCann was on a big contract. He was making $17 million a year and had a couple of years left on that contract. They called Sanchez up because why not? The season wasn't going where they wanted it to go. They weren't going to the playoffs. They'd already traded off Chapman. They had already traded off Andrew Miller, Carlos Beltran, Ivan Nova. Why not call up Scary Sanchez? They didn't intend to call him up and hand him the job, and that was the end of Brian McCann. They just wanted to see what they had. What they had was a guy who played 53 games, hit 20 home runs, 42 runs batted in in 53 games with a 1,032 OPS. He was not only the best catcher, in baseball during that last third of the season. He was one of the best hitters in all of baseball during that last third of the season, and it really did get fans excited for 2017. And in fact, starting in 2017, the Yankees never missed the playoffs until this year. And Gary Sanchez's call-up in 2016, and the look, that was a bad time for Brian Cashman. You know, a lot of people felt in 2016 that – Maybe it's time for the Yankees to move on from Brian Cashman then. And you think about how long ago that was. And what Sanchez did at the end of the year, and to a lesser extent, Aaron Judge and Luis Severino also showed a lot of promise. That may have elongated Brian Cashman's tenure by like five years. Now, is he hoping that you catch lightning in a bottle? In this final month from a Dominguez or an Austin Wells, it certainly can go a long way. Look, I'll be honest with you. Like I've said before, I think Brian Cashman's coming back next year. But the feeling that you would have around the team going into next season as a fan of this team, if you have something that you can hang your hat on going into next year, whether it's the play of Dominguez or Wells or if Anthony Volpe catches fire over this last month, that could really change how you feel about your team going into the next year. Yankee fans and the Yankees were at a really low point in 2016 for them. They missed the playoffs for the third time in a four-year span. The only time that's happened since before the strike of 1994. But what happened at the end of 2016 set them up for a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, a six-year run in which they went to the playoffs every time. They went to the ALCS three times. They won a couple of division championships. It was almost like a resetting. Now, I don't think that the same thing is going to happen here. I think there are a lot more structural problems with this Yankees team. Not enough left-handed hitting. Not enough starting pitching. Bullpen is unreliable. And most importantly, too many bad, unmovable contracts. 
led by Giancarlo Stanton, but you can add Anthony Rizzo. You could add DJ LeMahieu to that mix. Maybe even Carlos Rodon to that mix. We'll see how he does over his final month. So I think there's a lot more structural problems with this Yankees team. But if you could find a building block or two, something to hang your hat on over the last month, and that's what Brian Cashman's hoping for. That's what Billy Epler's hoping for with the Mets. And Epler's job is much more tenuous than Cashman's. I mean, first of all, it seems very likely that the Mets are going to bring somebody in above him to run all of the baseball operations. And is that guy going to want Epler to continue in his job as general manager? And let's be honest. Say what you want about Brian Cashman. He's been here for 25 years. The successes that Brian Cashman has enjoyed in New York, you can't compare to the whatever successes Billy Epler has enjoyed in New York. You know, Cashman has a long-standing relationship with Hal Steinbrenner, obviously, Yankees ownership, the Steinbrenner family. Billy Epler has none of that with Steve Cohen. He's on very shaky ground. So for him, the performance of these young prospects, Mauricio, Beatty, if Alvarez can get out of his funk, those are more important for Epler's future with this organization than they are even for Brian Cashman. So it's a it's really a last-ditch effort. It's, it's the last resort for either one of these GMs. They are out of ideas. Fortunately, the season is almost over. We have four weeks left. And I would say after this weekend, if you haven't already completely tuned them out, well, that's going to be about that time because one week from right now, we are going to be breaking down Giants-Cowboys. We are going to be breaking down Jets-Bills. We're going to be rehashing Chiefs-Lions because the NFL season will be underway and upon us. Let's hear from you, 1-800-919-3776. Any topic you want here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. And in both cases, Yankees and Mets, Cashman and Epler, it hasn't gone right. Uh, trades, the free agent signings, the decisions that were made, they have not panned out, to say the least. And this is really your last move. But it's not a guarantee. I mean, calling up 20, 21, 22-year-old prospects who have never played in the majors before, yes, it's exciting. But what if that doesn't work out? So it's it's still a risk, but it's it's kind of it's not kicking the can down the road. I think this is the smart and the prudent thing to do. I think this is I think this past week for the Yankees, starting with the release of Josh Donaldson, even putting Harrison Bader on waivers, and and if you didn't hear Bader's comments on moving on from the Yankees after a little more than a year, we'll play them for you in a moment. But those. Look, Bader didn't play well the second half of the season. Bader was outside of Judge, or even including Judge, was maybe the Yankees' best hitter in the playoffs last season. It was a terrific defensive player. But, you know, they would have had to have paid him after this year anyway. His contract status was uncertain, and it's just not something that the Yankees felt that he had done enough to have them have to deal with that at this point in time. So they let him go. So Donaldson, I I, I love the Donaldson move. I, I did. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make too too much of it but it had to be done it was almost as if they they were just trying to curry favor with the fans <laughs> because um I don't think Donaldson was going to play the rest of the season anyway it doesn't make sense to have him play why would you give him the at-bats that could be going to Oswald Peraza that just didn't make sense to play Josh Donaldson even if he was ready to come back so knowing that he wasn't going to come back and knowing that in the two years that he's been here, he's done he's done absolutely nothing. He really has done absolutely nothing to contribute positively to this franchise. 
it was more of like a statement to try to curry favor and earn some PR, some good PR for once, which they sorely needed. And I loved it just in the sense of it was a smart decision. And this is an organization that, in my opinion, has not made many smart decisions this year or in recent years. The Bader move was a smart decision as well, placing him on waivers, see if there were any takers. They found one, the Cincinnati Reds, who were on the cusp of the wild card race in the National League. Bader's familiar with the National League Central, familiar with playoff baseball, both in St. Louis and last year in New York. Bader, of course, from Westchester County, Bronxville, New York, played at Horace Mann in the Bronx before the University of Florida. But he's a New York kid, and he really did embrace playing back home in front of his family and his friends so close to where he grew up. And he was a little teary-eyed yesterday in Detroit when it became official that he was leaving to go to Cincinnati. It just means so much to me to uh, to be a New York City kid playing in the Bronx uh, for the Yankees. Yeah, it's just really special for a lot of reasons. So um, there's just a lot of good moments, and I'm just really excited because regardless of the situation, no one can ever take the fact that I put that uniform on growing up in that city, which, uh, which means a lot to me and a lot of people who support the Yankees for all these years. So I'm just very, very excited and thankful for the opportunity. And, man, that was, uh, that was special. So I appreciate everything with you guys, and uh, we'll just see where it takes us. So I just wanted to say that. So, yeah, Harrison Bader – the way he played offensively second half of the season, probably not part of your future. So give his at-bats over the final month to Jason Dominguez. And don't hold Harrison Bader hostage. He's not a lifelong Yankee. He's not a career Yankee. Give him an opportunity to go and play in the middle of a pennant race. Third base, Josh Donaldson contributed absolutely nothing. Give his at-bats to Oswald Peraza at catcher. Trevino's already out for the year. I think you know what you have with Kyle Higashioka. Let's give his at-bats over the final month of the season to Austin Wells, and let's just see what you have. Everson Pereira is already entrenched in left field. That was an easy one because the Yankees, since the first game of the season, never actually had a left fielder. This is a team that started this year coming off an ALCS run with a combination of Oswaldo Cabrera and Aaron Hicks as their primary left fielders. So, you could plug anyone in there because you're not really taking at-bats away from anyone meaningful. So we'll see what the kids do over the final month for the Yankees. Uh, Michael K on the Michael K Show earlier today says the Yankees cannot and will not just run it back. This team is not coming back the way it's presently configured. They are not running this back. It's going to be drastic changes, and they will add players, and they will trade players. And now there's another story out today by Peter Gammons that the eight organization has been meeting, and they're going to discuss moving Gleyber Torres to the outfield. I don't think that's a crazy idea. And Gleyber Torres has had a great year. By the way, if you don't see Gleyber Torres in your future, you trade him this offseason. This is the season for which you trade him off of. And I think he's very cavalier around second base. They know that they love Peraza. Peraza could play second. Volpe could play second if you want to move him from short. They need a left fielder. Maybe they think oh. that Glaber Torres could play left field. We'll see. You can see the way they're thinking, Don. This is not the team you're going to see next year. It better not be the team you're going to see next year. But the question that I keep going back to with the Yankees is, what is Hal Steinbrenner going to do? Because the only way that you can have a drastically different team from this year is if you spend above and beyond what you have already spent – and what Hal Steinbrenner historically has been comfortable spending this offseason. And I know they have the second highest payroll in Major League Baseball, $280 plus million at the start of the season. He's not cheap. He has spent that money. He has been on record saying 
he does not think you need to spend $300 million for a World Series contender. Well, he does this year because of what he has right now. If this team's going to be drastically different, you know, making trades, do the Yankees have a lot of trade chips? The, the only one that comes to mind for me is the guy who Michael Kay was just talking about, and that is Glaber Torres. He's 26 years old. He hits 25 to 30 home runs as either a middle infielder or if he is a guy who you want to convert to an outfielder. Torres has had a fine season, and he's still young enough, and he's played in big games, and he's played well in big games. He's still young enough that he has good trade value. But outside of the guys like, you know, Volpe, who you're just starting out with. I mean, Volpe has trade value also, but I'm not including him for the purposes of this conversation because I don't think he's on the trade block. Making trades is easier said than done for this team. Outside of Torres, who do the Yankees have that they can use in a trade for something that's going to improve their team? That's the tricky part. So if it's going to be difficult to improve your team through trades and we don't know what we have with the prospects, but even if these prospects show something over the next four weeks, are they going to show us enough that the Yankees are all of a sudden going to be contenders again? Well, then, if that doesn't work out, then the third avenue is to go out and spend money and bring in free agents who fit and who are going to make your team better, and that's where it gets tricky. And then on top of that, there is the question about the leadership. Brian Cashman, like I said... I think he is coming back. Aaron Boone, I'm I'm more sure that he's coming back than I was a week or a week and a half ago, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. So we'll, we'll get into that, and we'll get you ready for the Yanks and the Astros, the Major League debut of Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells, and we'll also keep an eye on the Mets and the Mariners, who are scoreless in the top of the third inning, and Ronnie Mauricio will be leading off the bottom of the third with his first Major League at-bat. 1-800-919-3776. Your calls as well. Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Pat O'Keefe with you here, 98.7 ESPN New York. Uh, I don't have Apple TV+, Plus, so I don't have access to the um, Mets game right now. But uh, Tom Bauer, you do, and uh, you want to update us on the first major league at bat for Ronnie Mauricio? I sure will. A fastball right down the middle. I believe it was a two-strike count, maybe 2-2 from Logan Gilbert. Hammers it into right field, one hopper off the wall. He's got himself a stand-up double in his first career at bat. How about that, huh? Boy, that'll bring them to their feet at City Field. I hope it did anyway. Oh, it sure. Ball in. Nice little souvenir. Oh, it sure did. Everybody in the stadium, from what I can see, was up and happy, jumping around, finally seeing the future of this team take place right (laughs) in front of them. Did they show Billy Epler standing up and jumping around? Because I can assume that must have been his reaction as well because he's got a lot riding on this kid right now. No, they did not, unfortunately. They did show his family, I'm assuming, though, and they were very happy. That's fun. And, again, it's fun to watch those moments, the family out there for the beginning of the big league season. I'll just say this, and nothing against these young players who are coming up and starting out their big league careers. We've seen a lot more of that than we expected to see in New York baseball this season. We saw Everson Pereira and his family at Yankee Stadium just a week ago waiting for his first major league. That's not what this season was supposed to be about for the Yankees and Mets. Just another example of what it has become. So Michael Kay says the Yankees 
aren't going to run it back. I I, I don't think – I mean, they're not going to run it back with exactly what they have, obviously. Um, you know, Glaber Torres is an intriguing name. The Yankees can't run it back with what they have. But what concerns me is that in the middle of August, when they were in the middle of their nine-game losing streak, you know, I wondered if there was a rock bottom that they could hit that would actually make Brian Ka- excuse me, make Hal Steinbrenner rethink whether or not he does need to move in a completely different direction. And then Brian Cashman, right before the Yankees ended that losing streak, which I thought was rock bottom. You lose nine straight games, you fall flat on your face and completely out of the pennant race in the span of a week and a half. If that's not rock bottom, I don't know what is. But Brian Cashman that day, and it was the 23rd of August, so it wasn't that long ago. We're talking about a week and a half ago, not even. Him getting up, taking it on the chin, facing the media, answering all the questions, and that just showed to me that Brian Cashman is and continues to be the one running this organization. Yes, Hal's the owner. Hal makes the final call, especially on financial matters and financial questions. But Brian Cashman has the trust of his owner to be the guy who runs this franchise. And he obviously was empowered at the lowest point for this franchise in 30 years. And in terms of a losing streak, it was the lowest point for this franchise in 40 years. It was their longest losing streak since 1982. And yet in the midst of all that, he felt empowered to get up in front of the media and show that he is still the one very much running this organization. So if you're going to think that Brian Cashman is going to be back next season, and I do, what about Aaron Boone? Because the easiest thing, look, you John Carlos Stanton's going to be back. DJ LeMay, who's going to be back. Anthony Rizzo, if he's available and healthy enough to play, is going to be back. Those are unmovable contracts. Aaron Boone's a manager who has one year left on his contract. So he's a lot easier to change. That position is a lot easier to change than either the general manager, which the owner doesn't want to do, or somebody on the team. Well, what about Aaron Boone? Well, here's Michael Kay on Boone's fate. One thing I've noticed about Boone, and this is just me reading another human being. So at the beginning of the road trip, there was a calmness about him. He was like serene. And I think it's one of two things. He knows he's gone at the end of the year or he's been told he's staying. I don't think there's any doubt now what's going to happen. He knows we don't know because there's no way that he's this serene when they continue to lose. It's a really interesting thought. Look, Aaron Boone, if you have followed his career, you know, grew up in a baseball family. Dad played in the majors. Grandfather played in the majors, had that great moment in 2003 in the ALCS with the walk-off home run off of Tim Wakefield. After he retired from playing, became a really good broadcaster for ESPN, Was became one of their top game analysts on the television, on ESPN radio. He had a very, very successful career when Brian Cashman hired him late in 2017 to manage the Yankees. Aaron Boone is going to be fine beyond his Yankees managerial stint, no matter what he does. He's got a wonderful life. He's a got a great personality. He's a guy who everybody in baseball, maybe outside of a few umpires, seems to get along with. So my point is, if he's serene because he knows he's coming back, that makes sense. I could see him, if he isn't coming back next year, I could see Aaron Boone saying, you know what? I had six years managing this organization, went to the playoffs five times, came a step away from the World Series two times. I had a pretty decent run. 
I don't know. That, to me, is the biggest question heading into next season because it's the easiest thing that you could change. All right, we'll continue to talk about this. We're going to look at Jason Dominguez's first career at bat as well here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN.